This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Chantal Olson is an author, a speaker, and a coach whose mission is to bring awareness to the home front warriors, the spouses, children, parents, and others who are left at home when their loved one is serving in the military. In her new memoir, Chantal gives home front warriors a voice through her own powerful story, and she also shares her many lessons that she's learned while fighting the battle at home during her husband's deployment in Iraq. As a motivational speaker, she has shared her experiences with many Homefront warriors and military families, each time validating the importance of giving voice to these courageous, amazing people. And on today's show, she's going to be doing the exact same for us. Whether you're a member of a military family or you're someone who wants to know more about being married to the uniform, our talk today is going to be full of insights and wisdom and will remind us all of the sacrifice that goes into the freedoms that we all enjoy. Support for today's show comes from Navy Federal Credit Union, which is proud to serve the Armed Forces veterans and their families. And if you're a member of the Armed Forces of the Department of Defense, they'd be proud to serve you too. Federally insured by NCUA. We'll start talking about home front warriors and a lot more when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Dear John, I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is serious, and I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to when you checked on me? I don't want to leave. But remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range today. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Chantel Olson, who's the author of Homefront Warriors, Not Every Warrior Wears a Uniform. Chantel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. So tell us a little bit about your own experience and how you happen to write a book about this particular thing. You're obviously a military spouse, and that certainly put you into the mindset of not wearing a uniform, but serving your country at the same time. But tell us your, your overall, how, how you happen to get particularly interested in this. Well, actually, just going through the whole uh, deployment is what got me interested in it, knowing that what we hear, you know, most, most media is, is fixed on the soldier side of things, and we hear all the stuff that's going on with the soldiers, but we never seem to hear what's going on with the families. And that's kind of our part. I mean, that's the part that we take as a spouse or a family member is we step back and we just try to keep everything going so that they can do their thing, and we try to keep the home fires burning. So it was when I had so many questions while my husband was deployed, people would ask, you know, what's what's it like and how are things going? And when I would start to tell some of the stories, they said, we had no idea. And they said, 
why doesn't anybody tell us this side of the thing of of the story? And so that's kind of what got me interested in it. And then the more I said and the more I told, the more people wanted to hear about it. That's where I was encouraged to write a book. Now, you're talking mostly about the the people that you're having contact with or having these conversations with are non-military people, right? Because there's a lot of support and a lot of stuff going on on military bases within the military community that's designed to help the the military families, the fam- the non-serving or non-uniform wearing ones, we'll call it. <laughs> Correct. Yes, it was uh, more of my families now and, and neighbors and things like that. And see, our situation was a little bit different. We, wasn't, um, we weren't stationed on a base or a post where we had National Guard, so they don't always have all of the wonderful right, facilities right. and things that are there. And there are so many guardsmen and women out there that it's um, it really should be addressed. But that's kind of where it all came from. I started just by people wanting to know more. Yeah. You know, I, I talk about that a lot in a book that I did a couple of years back for Military Fathers, uh, a lot about the issues that are faced by folks in the Guard that— their kids may be the only kids in their class who are uh, who have a, a service member serving, who have a parent, whether it's a mom or a dad overseas or, or someplace else, uh, and that the civilian schools are just not equipped for that. I mean, if they were going to a school on base someplace, it would be a different story. But so you've got those issues and then the, the returning and, and how you plug back into your job that you left for six months or a year while you served on a deployment someplace. So those are those are big issues for the civilian community to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many different elements that go into it that they just don't understand. And it was my my initial reasoning for writing the book was just to inform the civilian side of life that, you know, if you know somebody that's that is deployed and they have a family back home, reach out to them, do something for them or include them so that they aren't feeling so left out. And just maybe they can realize what they're dealing with. And it's, it's quite an eye opener for these people. Now, did you try to access some of the services that were available through the guard or were you just living too far away from the nearest base to, to have that happen. And, and that's that's quite a common scenario, given how the... It is, yes. Yes, that is, that is exactly right. Now, see, my father was in for 33 years, so he's, he's, um, he's a military guy, 33 years retired, and I even wore the uniform. So it's not like it came new to us, but this was the first deployment we've ever had to go through. And... We of course were not anywhere close to the to the base, so we just kind of uh, did what we could do. I was, you know, I was a mom that had two little ones at home and I'm working two jobs and trying to keep it all together. And well, we made it through. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's it's very difficult for. I mean, it's difficult enough when you have a whole community of other military people around you to make right. it through the deployment and to to in deal with the unknowns and the the things that are happening and and I mean how did you respond or you, how did your family respond when your husband came back from his deployment 
know, that was that's always the interesting part because people don't quite understand that there is that reintegration process and that uh, getting to know each other again and reuniting. Everybody thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. You guys will be together. Why don't you take a couple weeks off and go and be all together? And what people don't realize is that when you're gone, see, mine was gone for the surge. He was part of the surge, which was an 18-month appointment. So when your children are three and eight, when their dad leaves and they, he comes back and they're four and a half and you know, almost 20 the way she was, <laughs> um, it, it's quite a difference. And so you grow apart in those 18 months. He's doing his thing. You have to adapt to the children and life around you to do your thing. And so to try and reintegrate and pick up right where you left off is very difficult. And we kind of talk about that in the book and just what people don't understand is that you don't always just start from where you left off because there's a, there's a growing process that has occurred and you have to basically get to know each other again. Yeah. Well, you've had to deal with having to make everything run without him there. And it's mm-hmm. not, not that you didn't miss him or you didn't need him, but just out of necessity, everything has to get done, Absolutely. right? So all the things that, right. he, that he did, that he used to do, that he would like to start plugging back in, he doesn't quite need to do it anymore. And the kids mm-hmm. are going to respond to you rather than to him because he hasn't been there and they just don't know him. It's And, uh, you know, from his perspective, that's incredibly difficult to deal with and, and very demoralizing. But from your perspective, there's... There's the other side of that, which is, who are you? Right. Yep. And and I, I always felt bad for him, too, because he's, it's like he's the king of his castle, but it's the wrong castle. <laughs> you know, he comes in, and it, it's just not the same as it used to be. And I felt so bad because we would have to readjust, and things were kind of revolving around me. And then when he came home, I had to get make it, so that the kids would see that, you know, daddy's home now and it needs to revolve around him as well. It can't just be me because he needs to be included in these things. So how did that go? You know, it took a little while. <laughs> it did take a little while because they, when, when the kids are that young, especially for my son, he was three. He, was, he had just turned three. Uh, the day before before he uh, before John left, and when when he came back, our son was four and a half, so he was almost in kindergarten. So there was quite a lot of time in his perspective, you know, as a toddler, that had gone by, and he had gone through so many changes that Daddy wasn't there for. And so it did take some time. It definitely took time. But we worked through it. I'm talking with Chantel Olson, who's the author of Homefront Warriors. Not every warrior wears a uniform. And we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Chantel about some of the obstacles that she faced and some of the advice that she's got for families who are going through this about how to do that and also for civilians out there who may be listening who 
know a military family, or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know what questions to ask or what to look for. It's all coming up when we get back. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Chantel Olson, who's the author of Homefront Warriors, Not Every Warrior Wears a Uniform. Um, want to have you talk a little bit more about the getting back home part of it when somebody comes home from a deployment. Um, but, you know, before we get there, talk about what you think that you should have done that you didn't do during that deployment to prepare yourself or maybe before the deployment happened in the first place because since you were living away from a base and you weren't part of an active military community you probably didn't have a lot of the pre-deployment briefings and and resources and things that were available what would you suggest to other guard or reserve folks and families to help them prepare for this well, you're correct. We were we were about six hours away from um, where he was deployed out of. So, yeah, it was. It, we did not have any of the support that they had right there. So, what I wish I would have done, and I look back, and of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And I, I really wish we would have sat down and went through some things, and maybe put some uh, fail safe, so to speak in line so that if something, you know, the things that did happen, we could approach them or we would have a a solution, you know, before it even happened. And we didn't have the luxury of doing that because it was his first appointment. We didn't really know what to expect. And you think you do as you go into it, you think, oh, we've got this. I got this. No problem. We can do this. We've been through other things. We can, we can do this, but we never really sat down and said, okay, now, here is where these papers are located. Here is what happens if this occurs. Here is somebody that could take care of this if if something goes bad in the house. We didn't do any of that. So in the book, I talk about some of the trials and tribulations that we go that we went through. Mm-hmm. And then I said, you know, if I only would have known. And what I would have done and what I would encourage others to do is set up with your soldier um, kind of like a, a party line or a support line. So that if something happens around the house that um, you can't fix, have somebody in line and ready saying, okay, neighbor Joe is going to, you, you can go to him if you need this. And Here's the garage you go to if something happens to the car because he knows me, they'll tr- we trust him, and he's not going to overcharge. And just things like that that just really make a difference. And that's kind of what we're doing with our, um, with our home front warriors 
foundation that we're doing. It's just we're trying to get all that stuff into place. Yeah. Is, is there a place, is there a place, a website or something where you would recommend that people can go for a, a simple checklist of these kinds of things? I mean, just having that would probably be helpful. Absolutely. And we are actually working on our website, the Homefront Warriors website, and it, it will have a list of kind of our certified people, the ones that are, have been vetted through us and will give us a discount. And we're trying to be able to get the funds so that if if the families can't afford it, we can pay for that too. But it's just getting that funding that we're working on right now. So it's all in part of the works. And what about the things that you can talk about with your your friends and neighbors in the civilian community to to let them know what's going on so that they can possibly help out? You know, I think the biggest thing for us or for me when I was going through deployment was I felt so isolated. And I have tons of friends, tons of family. But what I noticed was once he left, we had a large decrease in people wanting to stop by, say hi, or stop by and um, invite us over or give us a call and see how things are doing. And nobody would do that anymore. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what what did I do? You know? Why was that, so do you think? I, <laughs> well, and this is what I found out later. What they were telling me was, you know, we always thought about you, but we didn't want to invite you because we didn't want you to feel like you were a third wheel. We didn't want hmm. to say anything that would offend you or we would hate to make you cry or things like that. That's what they're thinking in, in their minds. And I think it's a lot like when somebody passes away, you, you never know what to say because you don't want to trigger a memory or things like that. And that's almost how I felt is that nobody wanted us around. And I kept saying, you know, that's when I needed you the most. Hmm. I'm trying to hold it together for my children because often the, the children will take on the attitude of the parent that's left behind. Sure. And if I'm strong, my kids are going to be strong. If they see me weeping and falling apart and, you know, Debbie Downer, they are going to follow in that in that way of thinking and, and they're going to be depressed and sad and everything. And I didn't want that. So I'm trying to be strong for my children. And then, of course, we have to be strong for our soldier because if they call home and they hear any sort of um, distraction in my voice, then they're distracted and they have to keep their mind clear and without distractions because their lives depend on it. Right. Well, so, so do the like lives said, of everyone I, around, around them, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm trying to keep it strong for my kids. I'm trying to keep it strong for him. And I am literally the weakest one there is. And that's how I felt. But I had to do it. And I did it for my family. So you probably learned a lot about yourself. That you're not oh, quite absolutely. not quite the weakest one that you thought? No. I, it wasn't until after 9 o'clock at night when I could have a glass of wine. That's when it all hit. <laughs> put, put the kids to bed and make sure everything was good. And then you sit down and that's when you just kind of... Oh, oh my gosh, this is really happening. So, 
Do you think that there should have been some conversations with the, your your kids' teachers or daycare yeah, provider to I let do. them know because that they should probably be aware of some of the issues that they, you know they might start seeing strange behavior that has to do with daddy being gone or mommy yeah. being gone, depending on the family, of course. Um, mm-hmm. How would you have prepared oh. them differently? Oh, I'll tell you what I I think that is is a huge thing. We need to let the teachers or daycare providers know because what I found out just this last year is that my daughter had gone through quite a bit at school. She would go into the counselor's office and because she'd start crying in the middle of class and nobody, you know, could calm her down. And I thought, and you know, what was upsetting was that the counselor never did call me to tell me that that was going on, but if the counselor knew exactly what all was going on, I think they would have more programs in place for that. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, do you think that you could have, well, what could you have said to them that would have helped? Uh, to the counselors? Yeah. Well, to the counselor oh. or to the teachers. Yeah. So, so yeah, it wouldn't have even had to go to the counselor's office that the teacher mm-hmm. might have been able to be a little bit more aware of some of the issues that your daughter might have been facing, and then the counselor might not have even had to get involved. Right. You know, just letting them know that, okay, now her father's going to be gone. He's going to be gone for 18 months. She's very, uh, she's a very soft-hearted person. So things, I mean, this is just what I would say for my daughter, because you'd have to uh, tailor it to each child. And just to give her some time, give her some space, She'll be okay, but just give her a little time. Don't jump right on her or or send her to the counselor or the principal or any, anything like that because she's crying. Just give her some time, and she'll be okay. And I think each child is different, so you'd have to tailor it to each child. But I think that's also something that employers need to know as well. So if you've got a child that's working, um, you know, if they're high school age, make sure their employers know because I've had some kids get fired. I've heard of some kids get fired because their mind isn't always on their job and their, you know, their customer service isn't the best. And they didn't realize that the reason for this was because their father or mother had been deployed. So I think there's a lot of people that need to be informed. Yeah. Well, you want to draw a, big distinction between an explanation and an excuse. I mean, certainly, mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, certainly you, you should keep your mind on your, on your work and your customer service mm-hmm. needs to be top of the line if you're in that kind of a business. But at the same time, it would be helpful for the, the supervisors or the coworkers to be aware of the issues so they might be able to mm-hmm. pull somebody aside and, and, or maybe reassign them to something else that doesn't require the same sorts of, of presence. Yeah. Absolutely. Chantel Olson is the author of Homefront Warriors. Not every warrior wears a uniform. Chantel, thanks very much. Well, thank you for having me. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. 
Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, I'm marrying a woman who has two teenagers from her previous marriage. This is my first marriage, and although I like her kids, I'm a little worried about how I'll do as a stepfather of teens. Any suggestions? About half of all marriages are remarriages for at least one of the partners, many of whom, like your fiancé, have children from a previous relationship. I certainly get your worries about starting your fatherhood experience off with teens instead of the usual way with an infant. The most valuable advice I can give you is to keep your expectations reasonable and be patient. There's not a lot of social support out there, and your role in the new family isn't always clear. Fortunately, you're not alone. In fact, there are over 2.5 million families, which include more than 6.5 million kids, made up of a biological mother and a bonus father. Many prefer the term bonus to the harsher-sounding stepfather. Try to be sympathetic to the magnitude of the changes that the children may experience. New routines, a new house, new customs, new bedrooms. They may even have to share a room. And in families where both parents have children, they might even have a new birth order. A child who was once the oldest and had all the privileges that went along with that might resent being outranked by an older child. The opposite might happen to a child who gets displaced as baby of the family. Expect some natural competitiveness between you and the kid's biological father, especially if your ex tells you he's not a particularly nice guy. But you absolutely must support their relationship with their father. In most cases, it's not easy for adolescents to accept a new bonus parent. A lot of teens, like younger kids, fantasize that their parents will get back together and your marriage to their mother dashes that hope. In addition, your new bonus teen probably had a lot of additional responsibilities around the house and felt very mature. Some may feel relieved to have you there to take over some of the burden, but others may resent having to go back to being kids again. They may also resent having to deal with yet another adult who, in their minds, wants to push them around just when they're seeking autonomy. You can expect to hear a lot of, you're not my father, so I don't have to listen to you. One of the most important factors in children's adjustment to a bonus parent is trying to maintain the one-on-one -on -one relationships they had with their natural parents. Kids often feel that they're losing their biological parent to the new bonus parent. And in some ways, they're right. Before, it was just them and mom, but now they have to share her with some interloper. This brings up all sorts of loyalty issues for many bonus kids. They may feel that if they love or even like you, they're somehow being disloyal or betraying their biological father. As a result, they may lash out at you for what seems like no reason at all. Stranger still, these explosions often happen just when you think your relationship with your bonus children are going great. It's critical that you and your partner devote some time to keeping your relationship healthy and that you discuss the role she expects you to take in her children's life. Don't be naive and think that everything will work itself out. It won't. 
Over half of remarried women and about two-thirds of remarried men get divorced again. Overall, remarriages that involve kids are far more likely to fail than those without. Major problems include conflicts over child-rearing, the children's behavior, and the relationship between the step-parents and the stepchildren. Don't be afraid to get some couples therapy if you need it. Finally, don't make the mistake of expecting that everyone's going to live in one big happy family. It's going to take plenty of time for all of you to get used to each other and your new roles. Expect a bumpy ride along the way. If you've got a question or a comment for us, please do send it over. We love to hear from our listeners, and many of our listeners' comments and questions end up on the air. You can drop us a line through our website, mrdad.com. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the mrdad.com radio network. Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Hello there. Welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of Mr. Dad. Thanks for staying with us. In a moment of frustration or disappointment or dissatisfaction, most parents have probably asked themselves this question. Why isn't this any fun? As a mom of four and a parenting writer for the New York Times, our guest for this part of today's show decided to find out exactly the answer to that question. So she drew on the latest studies, her own interviews, and a research sample of more than a thousand parents, and she came to the conclusion that we can change our family life so that it's full of the joy we'd always hoped for, not by doing more, but by doing things differently. Unlike so many anxiety-inducing parenting approaches, my guest does not demand that parents add more to their already busy lives or reinvent the wheel. Instead, her advice focuses on improving 10 problem spots that cause parents the most grief, and she explores why they're hard, and she offers small, doable, sometimes surprising steps that you can take to make them better. Whether it's getting everyone out the door on time in the morning or making sure chores and homework get done without another battle, our guest wants to remind us that a satisfying family life isn't about hauling kids around and eventually dropping them off at the destination, success. It's about finding happiness, real happiness, the kind you look back on, look forward to, and live for all along the way. 
Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. And my guest for this part of today's show is K.J. Dallantonia, who's the author of How to Be a Happier Parent, Raising a Family, Having a Life, and Loving Almost Every Minute. K.J., thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you discovered early on that you were asking yourself a question that I'm sure everybody has asked themselves and nobody will admit it. Why does this suck? Or to be, <laughs> exactly. to be a, little, a little gentler... You know, why Why am I not having fun? Everybody seems to, you know, we're, we're supposed to have fun. Right. That was actually one of the original titles of the book. This should be fun or this could be fun or, uh, yeah, some variation on what, what is going on. You know, it kind of reminds me of, of a little bit of a discussion that I always have with the guys in my, my expectant father's class. It's a, a three-hour workshop and it's a different group of people every time, so we, this subject always comes up, but... The, the idea that the, the mythology is you're supposed to fall instantly in love with your baby the minute that that child is born. And the reality of it is that about half of people say, hmm, now what? Right. As, as opposed to, I love this child. So, yeah, there, there's all the, the, the dirty little secrets of, <laughs> of parenthood, including the why aren't we having fun part. So, but... It's particularly disturbing for people like us who write about this stuff, and, and you know we're supposed to know things. And so, what did you do with that information once you got it? Well, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was both a dawning realization personally that my husband and I, um, you know, we had our our four kids, and we were really we both had full time jobs, and we were racing here and zipping there, and and uh, you know, dropping one off here and one off there, and slapping each other by the hands, and as we sort of passed in the hall and. Um, so there was that. There was the personal part of it. And then there was the realization that as an editor and as a writer, that the, the people that I was interviewing, the essayists whose essays I was editing, uh, overall there was just this overwhelming sense of anxiety around parenting um, rather than a sense of uh, joy or satisfaction or fun or anything positive. Did you find that that was more common among people with younger kids or with teenagers? I'm thinking of times when it, it, it makes sense to be a little bit more anxious. Well, it's, it's a different kind of anxiety that, that you see in the younger parents um, or the parents of younger children is the way to put it. Um, you know, that, that, that's a rough time, and especially when you have an infant. You, you're not getting enough sleep. You're, you're, you're just not. It's torture. Um, and then as, as they get a little bit bigger, you're on deck constantly. It's a very demanding time of life. But there's a different kind of anxiety going on here that, that's what I'm talking about, and it's this feeling that we need to be parenting right, 
that um, there's some correct way to deal with our children so that we can sort of grind them through this process of childhood and then spit them out at some imaginary destination of success. Um, and that is, that's consistent. It's, it's present in parents of younger children. It's present in parents of teenagers. It's present in parents of college students. And so the message is what? Um, I think the message is, is, is stop. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that's and that's easy. So I'll just yeah. I'll just go now and Stay. we're done. No, and and it's not easy. Um, there is a really collective pressure on parents right now to um, to to find these right solutions and to to somehow act on them. And what we need to think about is that there's just there is no, you know, first of all. There is no right way. Second of all, there is no destination success. And if there was, I mean, are you really trying to get there, right? The, the point of parenting is not to, um, you know, to, to finish. It's to have this life that we, most of us, you know, planned for, worked for, really, really wanted. Um, and and to, to treasure it, to, to find solace in it, to make it, you know, a joyful and, and wonderful part of our existence rather than this sort of really stressful filled time. Well, I mean, does it ever end though, I guess, if, do you see, if you're talking about a, a, a successful time that in, <laughs> implies that, that there is an ending to it. Um, and I can't no, imagine. I, I, I don't mean, think it ends, but you know, the, the, the 18 or 20 years or so that you spend, or, you know, 20, depending on how your kids and their age range and that sort of thing, these years that you spend in the house together, they, they do end. Yeah, they, they do. And while I was really researching this when i sort of got to the you know i i did research with um with parents but i also did sort of anecdotal research where i reached out to um about five thousand people on facebook and said look you know tell me tell me what's making you unhappy this was more of a just you know what what topics should i cover and amidst all the oh my god snapchat oh my god snacks oh what am i going to do about tantrums oh the homework amidst all of that there were these there were these comments that were like you know, not enough phone calls. I never see them. Um, I don't know what's going on in their lives. And those were, were from the parents of older children. And so here, yeah. here we are, and, you know, we got the phone calls. We, we can see them. Let's, let's find a way to make this a great time. You know, it's funny. I, I just I haven't really I haven't become a grandparent yet, which is probably good news for everybody. But I see this with my parents, my mother in particular, she still tells me that I should get a haircut or, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, stop licking your fingers, she says to me, which is like, what am I supposed to do? I just had some food in my hand. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just these, these quirky little things at the same time. The first thing I do when I go to their house is I go to the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, it, it's, no. I don't know. It, it's uh, it, it, it's a, a two-sided street, I guess. We're gonna we're always going to be kids as long as you're fortunate enough to have parents. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons yeah. it's such an interesting and rich topic. Families, uh, you know, not everyone's going to have kids, but most of us have parents, um, so we've been kids. Yeah, that's true. We still have some some perspective on it. So, mm -hmm. where do you where do you begin with? the process of trying to tweak the way that we think so that we can look at something and have more fun doing it instead of being so taking it so seriously. 
Um, well, happier parents in general, they sort of have these, these four things uh, going on. Generally speaking, there is a difference in the parents of younger kids and the parents of older kids. Parents of younger kids tend to be more involved in the day-to-day. Um, parents of older kids tend to be fostering independence as their children become more capable. Uh, parents who, and, and so I guess I should preface all this by saying not everybody feels this stress and anxiety. There are parents out there who are feeling, you know, pretty satisfied with where they are and what they're doing and, and how it's going. And those are the parents that I, I turn to in my own research and in reading other people's research. So those parents typically don't put their children's everyday needs above theirs. Um, then a really key thing is, is, is getting right at what you said. It's the mindset of happier parenting. Happier parents are the ones who can find the good in the day-to-day experiences, who can look around even with, you know, uh, bickering children in a sink full of dishes and recognize that, you know, this is, this, this, this is, this is good stuff. Um, and beyond that, they, they know what's, you know, what's a really a problem and what's just, uh, just sort of noise. You know, there's a lot there, huh? Sorry. Oh, there no, there is, and I, I we're going to get to a lot more of it. But I'm just it's uh, trying to break it down a little bit. Is there a way that you can suggest that you can look at at things that are happening that that you might take very seriously and you might take to heart and you might be self-critical or critical of the child, but the way that you can look at that, take the long view, because eventually those will be funny stories. They, they really will. And the advantage of being an adult is that you know there's another Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, you know, there's another balloon. There's another girlfriend. There's another college. That's, that's, that's the pleasure of perspective. Um, I think that, you know, we really need to sort of step. Our brains really, um, they want to find the bad. They want to be frightened. When, when, um, when something's happening to somebody we love, you know, we tend to go straight to straight to the worst possibility, right? Instead of being able to take a deep breath and try to figure out, well, wait a minute. I mean, is is this a tiger? Really? Is this, you know, is this is this a, a life-threatening situation? And most of the stressors that we face on a day-to-day level with our kids aren't. Some of them right. are, and you know, yeah. <laughs> then you, you go right in and you don't worry about being happier. You deal with that, but. Uh, most of you know most of what's worrying us not making the soccer team um, getting an F in science um, not 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 life threatening. Talking with KJ Delantonia, who's the author of How to Be a Happier Parent, Raising a Family, Having a Life, and Loving Almost Every Minute. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to KJ. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration.
Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with KJ Delantonia, who's the author of How to Be a Happier Parent. Uh, I'm just, you know, you were talking about rearranging the way that you're thinking a little bit and that, that most things are not going to be a big problem. But what do you do in a situation, or is there anything to be done if you really do have a problem? I mean, I, I remember taking great solace in the fact that I, I would look at my kids and I'd be thinking, I'm having some problems with this one, or she's having problems in school, or got thrown out of that, or whatever it is. And But then I would think, you know, of my three daughters, none of them are pregnant. None of them are, are uh, doing IV drugs, to the at least the way I, I can't tell. Uh, you know, they're they're okay. They're not in jail. But not everybody is as lucky as that in a way. You know, there are people who have a kid in jail or who, a kid who did some horrible thing. Um, you know, those people, it seems like, have every right to be anxious. Well, and I, I, yeah. I, I, actually, saying they have every right isn't really, that, that doesn't imply that other people don't have a right to be anxious. But um, you know what I mean? That, that I mean, how, okay. how can you re, readjust your thinking so in, I, in real situations? Right. So that two thoughts there. The first is that um, the, the, this idea of the mindset of, of being generally looking for the good in day-to-day situations, I, I want to credit it to um, the author of Hardwearing Happiness. Um, I'm going to – his name is Dr. Hansen. And, it's, you know, it's a sort of a neurological question uh, that you can train your brain to find the good in your everyday life. So his point is that if you've spent a lot of time doing that, if you've looked around when, as you said, you've got your, your, your kids and nothing really terrible is happening and things are, are pretty good, and you've, you've been able to absorb those good times, then when things are going really wrong, you have that as a reservoir to fall back on. It helps you to, to gain your strength. So I think the first thing to say to that is um, statistically, most of us, aren't dealing with those real big crises at the moment, and yet we're feeling these rising levels of anxiety. So when you're in that position, try to find the good. And when you're not, um, you know, the, the general advice is, is <laughs> I don't know, that's a really <laughs> tough question that you have saddled me with. It really depends on what's going on. Well, um, I mean, I, you know. I think if I were to have to answer the question, if somebody were asking me, I would think, you know, you know be reasonable and try to be nice to yourself. Give yourself yeah, a break that, that really and truly that there's a lot of self-blame that goes on in parenting. But there's also a point at which you say, you know, I tried my hardest. I did. I did as much as I could possibly do. And kids are going to be who they're going to be eventually. That we there is the, there is the, I don't know something in between nature and nurture where they take control. Right, and we can still be happy with ourselves and what we have built. Um, you know, and and who we are. And I think that's a really important thing. That at some point you need to let your children be themselves. And you be yourself, and your happiness should not be dependent on theirs. If for no other reason, then that's a terrible burden for a kid. Well, but that's something that, that is comes so naturally to parents, is we all feel very proud of ourselves when our kid gets a, a medal for something. It's, it's as though somehow it's some validation of, of our great parenting success, which goes along with the flip side of it, the guilt that goes along if your child does something not so great that you you feel that you've you've failed right 
Um, I really think that an important way to think about that is do you want your child to uh, feel like they've failed you? And the answer is probably no. So it's really important for our kids to know that, you know, we are strong adults with our own reservoir of happiness and our own sort of uh, lives so that they can, you know, fail to make the team and not feel as though they've let the entire family down or, you know, have a really crushing blow as an adult and not feel that not only are they suffering, but they have, you know, have really have messed you up in some damaging way that's not what we want it's not it's not our not our goal as parents is that a modeling thing only or do we actually have conversations with them where we hope to instill some sense of resilience in them so that they can learn these lessons that we perhaps didn't learn when we were their age (laughs) it's true they're they're tough so i think it's both um you know a great uh, one of the pieces of being happier as a parent as an, and as an adult is having this, you know, having your own things that make you happy, um, whether they're hobbies or whether it's your job or whether it's your, your community work, and to talk about those things, you know, as, as positive pieces of your life. And then, so, so that's just sort of the modeling, the, the here I am having, and if, if for no other reason than we want to make adulthood look good, right? Um, so there's that piece of it. And then, yeah, there, there's the other piece of it, um, when something goes wrong for your kid, of, of talking about it as something that's, that's theirs, which isn't to say, you know, too little, too bad, I, I'm sorry you got an F on French, I'm off to my tennis match. It's more like... Um, you know, oh man, you, you know, I'm sure you feel really terrible about that. What are you going to do? Um, you know, is, is, if, is there anything I can do to help? It's fine. But just to sort of not, you you might be devastated. I mean, we are devastated on our, you know, on behalf of our kids, but not to make it look as though, um, their failure has sort of destroyed you as well. Well, what was the hardest part of this for you? to start making a transition from somebody who was thinking that this just isn't fun to being able to see the, the fun? <laughs> um, what was the hardest part? That, that is a really good question. I'm still in the middle of this. This is anything, <laughs> but, a, anything but a memoir. Um, you know, it's the process, this learning to... Yeah, I, know, I think learning to be happy is, is a process for a lot of us, whether we're parents or not. So what was the most difficult... Um, I, I'm really, I'm a total complainer. So I would say that sort of trying to silence this, because a piece of this, a piece of looking for the good, um, is to, to quit sitting around going, ah, oh, the plane is late, you know, and now everything's going to be ruined and we're going to miss this and it'll probably never go and we'll probably end up missing the whole vacation and, you know, sort of sailing down that road to, to um, catastrophe. And I, I used to be a huge I used to be a huge visitor of, of imaginary catastrophe land. So I think <laughs> stopping that was, um, was and is a huge challenge. There's this, um, there's this great quote that's been attributed to all kinds of people. I've never really been able to track it down, but it's basically, um, I have suffered so much in my life, most of which never happened. So <laughs> qu- <laughs> quitting that 
was and continues to be hard. You know, I, I always think for some reason uh, of you, you find inspiration in the oddest places. And if you saw the movie, it was a Tom Hanks movie, Bridge of Spies, where he plays a, a lawyer and he's defending this guy who's a, a Russian spy and he's being vilified in the press and it's just horrible and everybody's talking about wanting to kill this guy and Tom Hanks is supposed to be the defense lawyer and he goes into the to the cell to talk to this guy who's facing the death penalty basically and the guy's just so calm and Tom Hanks says what what is the matter with you all this pressure on you there's all these things that are going on why aren't you more upset and he says would it help and, <laughs> and for, you know for some reason I, I keep thinking about that in in Moments like the ones you're describing, and think, you know, would it help? Really, it's such such a Zen thing to think, right? Okay, so if I go completely crazy here and and catastrophize everything, how is that going to make it any better? I don't know. So I, I can exactly thank right. Tom I love Hanks. that. That's the perfect. Yeah, that's the perfect. That's, maybe that's the perfect thing to ask yourself as um, you know. If things are are going wrong, or maybe even going a little wrong, I could get upset here, but would it help? Yeah. <laughs> or then later yeah. there's the secondary question, which is, all right, I, I already got upset. So I could get a, upset about having gotten upset, but would it help? <laughs> right. <laughs> is anything going to get any better? Yeah. You know, this is, um, you know, we've, we've talked about sort of the, the macro, the, the larger question of, of being a happier parent, but there's just the day-to-day um there really is all the stuff I was listing earlier, the homework, the screens, the mornings, um, the meal times. There's, there's a lot going on, and there are things that people do to make all of those things better. Um, but one of the things that people do to make all of those things better is to cut themselves some slack Yeah, on, and, and, on the times when it's not better. And somebody just in a, an interview I was doing earlier was, tell, was telling me, I think I mentioned this at the very beginning, that you know, these things will become funny stories at some point. So yeah. think think about that. Start start writing it down now. I mean, and, you really uh, want your child to be the one who, like, you know, sort of has has never so much of a lost a balloon without mommy rushing off to them with two more. <laughs> uh, you don't know, you don't want that, right? So uh, we need these little catastrophes. KJ Del oh, KJ is the author of How to Be a Happier Parent: Raising a Family, Having a Life, and Loving Almost Every Minute. KJ, thanks so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you. Before we go, a special thanks to the folks at Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the armed forces, veterans, and their families for over 80 years. Federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.